Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and I am really excited that I get to be here today with Amber L.B. Swenson. Amber is a wife, mother, speaker, and the author of four books. She's also a blogger and a regular contributor to several popular Christian organizations. And today we get to talk about her newest book, Chosen for More. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we are too. And um, before we get into your book and just talking, talking turkey, we, we like to um, ask each of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet? Where do you like to go to feel close to God? Yeah. So it's something I just started actually at the beginning of oh. this year. So I'm one month in and it has absolutely changed my prayer life. And it is having a prayer journal. I so it. I have never done this before, and I just decided that this year I wanted to be more deliberate about praying, and I didn't want to just sort of pray when I had time and not pray when I, you know, it just became too space cadet about it. So I decided to start a prayer journal that I do with my morning devotion time. So I'm in the Bible, and I've been working through the Psalms, and as I read the Psalms, I'm journaling, and it is so amazing. I just went back and read some of the earlier posts from this um, month. And it's so interesting how the word speaks to us and how, as I'm reading the word, I can barely go a verse or two without starting to write a prayer because this is going on in the world, or I see this as an issue that I need to fix in my own life, or, or I just need to go to God and I know I can't fix it, you know? And so um, the prayer journal has been absolutely spiritually life-changing for me. And I love it. Like I said, I'm only 31 days in 32 days in now, but um, man, I hope I can c continue it because it's, it's really a neat thing to do. I love that your prayer journal is your, your prayer closet. Like it's, it doesn't matter where you are. You've got the journal and that's where you are. It reminds me of, um, Susanna Wesley, the story about how she had all these children and she would put her, um, apron over her head when she wanted to pray. And that was just her prayer closet. And the kids always knew, Hey, when I'm, when I've got my apron over my head, I'm praying and mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing. You know, you just take it yep. wherever you go. And that's really, that's amazing. It is. And I think it's so fitting for those of us who, um, you know, I know with war room, you can, you can use a closet, you can go anywhere, but mm -hmm. some of us, you know, have a house full and I'm at the age, um, I have older children, young adults mm -hmm. and teens, and they very often bring their friends over to my house. And so our house is always full. And so you know, I don't necessarily have a designated spot right now that I can call mine. Although I'm thinking since my children are getting older, it won't be too long until that happens. But right now my prayer journal, like you said, it is my place. You know, I can be on my bed with my prayer journal or this morning I was on the dining room table or anywhere I need to be. I can bring it with me. I also love the kind of prayer you're talking about where you read. That's one of my favorite ways to read scripture mm -hmm. Um, and to pray is to pray through scripture. And like you said, just as you're reading, let the spirit use what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world to, to prompt you from what's being read. And when that happens, you do see the power of the word of God being living and active because you could read that same Psalm next week 
and you might get something completely different out of it or be prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray in a totally different way. And I just feel like it's the best of both worlds. It's not taking a verse and and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, taking a verse and praying that verse, which is very powerful too, but it's asking the Holy Spirit to use scripture to, as a launch pad for your prayers. Mm -hmm. And I just, or a springboard for your prayers, whatever visual you want to use. But I think that's really, it's just a creative way. And I have a question for you. So Mm -hmm. I've always wondered, you're a writer, you're an author. Do you feel like, um, and I guess you wouldn't know what someone who's not an author would think, but when you're a writer by nature or something you're passionate about, do you think that that has anything to do with the way that you've connected with journaling and writing down your prayers and your thoughts? I think it might be because I do, I do love to write so much. And that is a way that I, I'm a note taker anyway. Yeah. So if I go to a conference or if I'm at a Bible study, I'm constantly taking notes. That's the way I learn. So it's kind of silly that I have never journaled in prayer before I've started a couple of them and, but I, I wasn't using the word. And I think what you said is so key because in the word too, as I'm reading the Psalms, I'm praying for things that I would never on my own pray for. So if the Psalm is saying, guard me against my enemies, naturally, I'm not necessarily praying for my enemies. That's not something that comes to mind all the time, unless I'm in a fight with someone or something like that. But when it comes up, when I read that, and then I start saying, Lord, who are my enemies? I'm going to start thinking about who comes against me. And then I'm going to pray against it. And then I'm going to pray against it for my family. And then I'm going to pray, you know, that God guards our hearts and all these things that I wouldn't naturally think to pray on my own. It is just like you said, when you're in the word, the Holy spirit is sort of cluing you in to praying for things that you wouldn't think to pray about, you know, and when you hear you are my rock and my fortress where I find my strength, then if you're letting the Holy spirit work, it becomes a a time of confession and repentance. Lord, look Mm -hmm. at all the times that I've looked to a paycheck to be my security. Look at all the times that I've looked to my strength or my youth to be my security. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. those are, those are the things that are coming out of my, out into my journal. And I just think, on my own, I would not come up with these things, but when I'm in the word and the Holy spirit is sort of tapping me, it's a whole different experience. And it has been so fulfilling. It's, it's great. So I do think the writer thing has something to do with why I'm finding it to be so fulfilling. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a very safe way to practice hearing from the Holy spirit, because I think, you know, sometimes when I've wanted to hear from God, I'll just be like, okay, let me just clear my mind of everything, which is impossible because my brain is always moving and, and working, but I think I'll just clear my mind and God speak to me, but that can be dangerous because it's, it, you can, you don't know what's coming in. You, you know, it's, it's to me, I know everyone has their own way of hearing from God, but for me, it feels a little bit scary when, when you're just starting out listening for God's voice. I mean, no matter how seasoned you are, it's hard sometimes to hear God's voice and recognize it for sure that that's God. And that's not your own thoughts or, you know, other people's ideas filtering through your mind or even enemy voice, you know, I mean, so it's such a safe, protected way to go into prayer in God's word. I feel like 
as you're praying through God's word, as you ask, let's God speak to me through this. I feel like it's a very safe way to hear from the Holy Spirit by being prompted through scripture. You, that just I feels safer to agree. me. <laughs> I agree 100% with everything you just said. That is so true on our own. We can go a million ways and call it God. And yeah. I have been, I have been guilty of that before in the past. And, but God's word is true. It is. When you're anchored in the word, God's word is true and you find his will in the word. And absolutely. Every time you go to the word, you are hearing God's voice. I teach Sunday school and Bible history to um, seventh and eighth graders. And I always say, you know, when you open your Bible, it's like sitting at Jesus feet. You are just like Mary sitting at Jesus feet. It is like, he is speaking directly to you. That is his word. That's infallible. Always go there. And so, yeah, you're right. It's safe and you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed in looking at your books that you're an author of both fiction and nonfiction. I love that. So um, my co-host Alana is, she started off writing fiction and still that's her main outlet, but she also has written a lot of nonfiction too, like the book behind me, 30 days of prayer for the unsaved. And, you know, we work on things together. Um, so I just wondered what, what got you started writing and do you have a genre that you enjoy writing more than the other? Yeah. So I, um, decided in 10th grade that I wanted to be a writer and I had a very different idea of what that would look like than what it has. I think I read some good, um, material in my high school classes, like to kill a mockingbird. And I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to write novels like this, that, you know, change your thoughts about things. Um, it's a lot harder than that, than just announcing to the world that you're going to be a novelist. But, um, I went to school for creative writing and literature. And my last class that I took was a novel writing class. And so, um, I had gotten started with a book idea there. And the professor just said, you know, you have to go on and finish this. And I felt like I had some stories that needed to be told. And so I, I did the novel writing mostly, um, to get it out and to make sure that I could do it because I thought, you know, when you say you're going to write a novel, it, it seems like an impossibility. So it was a really huge challenge, um, to do so, but I had a lot of fun with it. I do like nonfiction now I've gotten more into that. Mostly I think because it's what I'm reading more and more. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing more of the nonfiction reading. And I think you tend to go. So as I was growing up and when I was young, I gravitated towards fiction, but now I just, I just love a good nonfiction book about prayer or getting closer to God or, Um, right now I'm reading one on vocation and, uh, you know, there's just, and I'm also reading Luther's large catechism and I, I just love that. And I'm just devouring that. So as I've gotten older, I've tended to go more towards the nonfiction. Yeah. I find that too, that as it depends, I don't read a lot of fiction usually at all. I mean, I used to a lot more, but I guess it has to do with the podcast and, you know, when we're reading books to interview people or just to gain knowledge, it just tends to be nonfiction more. Um, and I, I, yeah, I can totally relate to that. It's kind of like what's coming in though. That's where the gears start turning. And those are the things that you start kind of 
you know, clicking, mm-hmm. oh, well, I could incorporate this and I like the way they did that. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, and so, so your latest book is nonfiction. It's called, it, that is your latest book, right? Chosen for more is your most recent. Well, I wrote right? three books last year, so it's the most recent one that's out. Let's put oh, it that way. <laughs> so you've got there's, more up your sleeve. There's some that are coming out shortly, but are they're they? not, they're not here. Okay. And are those fiction or nonfiction or can you say? All nonfiction. Okay. All nonfiction. Yep. Right. And, and co-authored. Um, two were co-authored, which was really a fun experience too. So. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll have to have you back. <laughs> I'd love to be. Sneak, sneak preview. Well, your latest book that's out chosen for more has a theme of God using everyday people in powerful ways. And I love this. And it's a very readable book. It, it highlights five different biblical, I won't call them characters, biblical people that, um, that God used in different ways. So what inspired you to write this particular book? Yeah. So I have two full length Bible studies, Mm -hmm. which I had, you know, the intention for those were thinking that, you know, these Bible study groups, which I had been part of a women's Bible study for, you know, 20 years. I love women's Bible studies. I, I love mom's Bible studies. I love women's Bible studies. I've been part of them. I've taught them. Um, but those books are quite a bit different than this book in that those books are super in-depth and, mm-hmm. you know, you can use them with a group for like, I was thinking a nine month Bible study is usually you start in the fall, you go through till April or May and you dig deep with a group of friends. And this is very, very different. The intention for this was really, um, for beginners mm-hmm. or for people who had not yet, uh, taken the dive into a Bible study, who found it very threatening to even consider, you know, when someone asks, will you come to Bible study with me? And you think, I don't know enough. There's no way I can go. So I wanted something that um, would not be threatening and that would give people a taste. So not a super in-depth that would scare people away, but something that would give people a taste of this is what happens when you just dig in the Bible a little bit with the idea that maybe this will lead them to want to go further and deeper and into another Bible study. So it's a gateway Bible study. Yes, very much so. Very <laughs> much so. Something that just was easy enough. I mean, it's, I think those of us who have been part of Bible studies for a long time forget how hard it is to walk through the doors. Yes. And how very, um, you know, I, I think all of us feel threatened. I started doing a Bible study with these women. I kind of got uh, laughed at because I, I called them high end Christians. And all I mean by that is these are women who are very scholarly and they have mm-hmm. taken the, the study of the word of God very seriously. And I started studying the Bible with them about three years ago. And I felt I sent the uh, leader a text after the first Bible study. And I said, I'm in over my head. Like, mm-hmm. I don't belong here. Everybody else is way up here and I'm way down here. And she absolutely just comforted me and said, Amber, no, what you add is great. And we're so happy to have you here. And please don't think that and come back. And so I know the feeling of thinking, man, I don't belong in this study because everybody knows more than I do. Or where's the easy 
<laughs> I need to go to the easy Bible study because I don't know all of that. And I really wanted, I really wanted to reach out to those people and say, there's a place for you and please just get your feet wet and, um, take it slow and, and we'll get you there. Well, and isn't it true that once, I mean, once you experience God in a small way, it just stokes your desire for more. So let's say you're, you know, you're reading and I can't even say in a small way, but if you're reading this very approachable book, this readable book that with just the, you know, these five basic stories and examples Mm -hmm. with devotions and questions you're going to come away changed. God's word is going to go out. It's going to not to return empty. And so anyone that picks this up is going to come away changed by God's word. And I just feel like that, that change is going to definitely be like, Oh yeah, maybe I can, I can do more. Um, and make them want to continue. I love that idea of, yeah, for sure. Having this as a transition. And I also loved that you have a couple of other Bible studies that you have one that's a mom's study and mm-hmm. then one that's for women. And you specifically say, but not necessarily moms, which I think is so valuable because a lot of our women's culture revolves around mom studies and moms and kids and relationships like that. And I love the fact that you specifically have something for women who are not moms. And I think that's, you, you kind of got your bases covered. I love that. Yeah. And I, I did do the mom study first. I was at a time in my life that I was deep, deep, deep into raising small children and Mm -hmm. having other moms around me was just such a huge support, you know, just all of us coming together and to raise children. But as my children were growing, I have some of my dearest friends right now have never been married, Mm -hmm. have never had children. And, um, they have made me very much aware of how much they feel left out at times when the church offers just a mom's Bible study and not a women's Bible study. Yep. There's no place for them. And so when I started realizing that we were leaving people out unintentionally, I mean, I never intentionally thought, well, what do I do with, you know, a woman who doesn't have children? I never thought that. Um, Then I wanted to make sure that those women knew, oh man, God did not forget you. Yeah. The Bible is full of women too, who we don't know if they had children. We don't know if Deborah had children. We're not told. We don't know if Esther had children. You know, so many of the women in the Bible, we don't know. We do know some women did, but so God didn't leave them out. And I don't want to leave them out either. Hey there, it's Jamie. I just wanted to pause the conversation for a minute to introduce you to a sponsor of our podcast, Simply Earth Essential Oils. I've really loved using Simply Earth's essential oils in their diffuser. It looks really nice on my countertop and walking into a room that smells nice just makes everyone in the house happier. If using essential oils has seemed confusing or maybe you even have unused oils stored away on a shelf somewhere, I think you're going to love the Simply Earth's essential oil recipe box. How it works is you receive the recipe box with four pure essential oils, six recipe cards, and extras. And then you learn how to use your essential oils while making the recipes created by Simply Earth's certified aromatherapists. And this is my favorite part about Simply Earth. You're buying from a company that changes the world. Simply Earth gives 13% of all of their profits to end human trafficking around the world. 
I'm pretty sure you'll be amazed at how affordable these high-quality oils are. Not only do they come from the best farms from all over the world, but they're tested by a third party to ensure purity. The essential oils alone would cost over $100 from other companies. But with the Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box, you get four pure oils, six recipes, and extra ingredients for only $39. And when you subscribe, you get a free big bonus box with even more natural goodies. Plus, get a free essential oil diffuser, which I love, when you subscribe using Praying Christian Women's unique link, simplyearth.com slash PCW, as in Praying Christian Women. So don't wait. Visit simplyearth.com slash PCW today to get your free 80 milliliter essential oil diffuser. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I love that because I really do think we've even had comments on um, on our I think it was like on Apple podcasts or something where someone was scrolling through and said, you know, one constructive criticism is just like most other podcasts, there's not a lot on here for the singles. And, you know, we do intentionally curate some content that is applicable to everyone. But, you know, for Alana and I, as moms, a lot of our conversations surround motherhood and parenthood and wifehood, and not everyone is married. Not everyone has kids. And, um, you know, there is just, we, there, I think in the church in general, which tends to be very family oriented, there can be a huge gap for single women or women that don't have children. And I, I think that could be extremely painful. And I love that you thought of that and addressed that. And we have also tried intentionally to bring in some guests that reflect that and, and speak to that, what it's like to be single in in the Christian life and what are the challenges and what are the benefits? I think of Paul and how he, you know, what he says about singleness and being called to a life without a family, uh, a family, meaning, you know, uh, in his case, a wife or in, in another person's case, a husband or children um, is applicable to women as much as, as it is to Paul in terms of the focus on God's plan and purposes that are in front of them uniquely that would not be available in a different situation. So anyway, yeah. all of that. And you know, I think it's important too to acknowledge the fact that a lot of Christian moms identify as moms. And then yeah. when their children start going away to college, mm -hmm. they've lost their identity. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've tried to be very cognizant about is making sure that whether we're a mom or a grandma or or single, we need to identify first and foremost as children of God. Mm. Whatever our role is, it is going to change. Even uh, married people, you know, your spouse dies, you are now a widow. And so all throughout our life, our roles are changing, but our identity, if it's rooted in the right place, if it's rooted in the fact that we are loved children of God, that doesn't change. And then we're able to adapt when the roles change, much more so than if we've put our whole identity in the motherhood basket, which a lot of people do. Oh yeah. And it's, it's a hard wonderful, not to. it's hard not to, right? 
it's a wonderful thing to embrace motherhood. It's a godly thing. It's a beautiful thing. As long as we remember that our true identity is as a child of God and that the roles are going to change with our seasons in life. And then we don't fall into that, man, now that my children are gone, I do not know who I am. Nope, not true. You're still a beloved child of God. Yeah. And in any situation, any transition, there are going to be adjustment periods. There are going to be gaps and we need to have grace. But like you said, if you're preparing ahead of time, I mean, when you go through a huge, you know, job change or move, there are things that you put in place to make it a little bit more of a seamless transition. And I think we can do that as women for these transition times. If we are parents, you know, that, that as our kids move into the emptiness phase, or even like you were saying, you know, shifting from the little kid phase to the older kid phase, there's like, I'm, I'm in that transition phase now with like 15, 10 and eight. And I'm starting to see the, the changes on one end. And I'm still kind of on the little, almost little kid end on the other side, but I'm just starting to see, you know, there are so many shifts that are taking place and there's a letting go process and it can be painful for everyone in the house. So, yes. And I just stopped a woman at church on Sunday, her oldest turned 15 and I stopped her and I said, all right, we need to have the discussion. I'm going to be here for you about driving. This is so hard when it's your firstborn, like here, let me tell you, you got to start in a parking lot. Don't leave the parking lot. Do not let them. Then you go in the neighborhoods, you know, very slowly. Don't get them out on the streets. So we were having this guy. That is a huge transition. Yeah. That from little kids, when your first one turns 15 and you start teaching them how to drive, mm-hmm. that is crazy and hard. And so many things come after that, the dating, all the high school issues, all that. And you're right. And, and a lot of times too, whether we want it to be this way or not, our friend group changes because a yes. lot of times we were, oh, yeah. we were friends with these people who had small kids, then they go to yeah. different high schools, mm-hmm. they go to different colleges. And so it's not just that we're trying to uh, keep in step with our kids who are entering these really different phases with different problems and different heartaches and all this thing. But all of a sudden, the people who had been by our sides through all the rest of this parenting journey, they're in a different place. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting different friends and, and it, it is, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving parts. And, and that's why it's so important that our identity is in God and realizing that we are his child, he will provide for us what we need in every single situation and being in the word and hopefully perfectly in Bible studies, man, that can really be a huge aid during those seasons. Absolutely. Well, and I notice in chosen for more, you have five stories of these five different people. And I feel like you curated those very specifically to be very different people. Is that right? Like what, what made you choose these particular five people of all of the people in the Bible you could have picked? And maybe because I relate to these five more than, I, I mean, I don't know, I could have chosen a couple of others too, but these are some of the things that really hit me, the issues that each of these people was facing. So with Ruth, she was determined. And I recognized, especially as my children were getting to that older phase, mm-hmm. we have to be very careful about what we're determined to do. Cause we can set our, our goals mm-hmm. to be good, 
but not great. Mm -hmm. So during the seasons of transition, we still want to focus on being a godly God fearing family. We want to be in the word, even though it gets tricky. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When your kids start working and they're coming home at different times, we've always done family devotions at night. Well, what about when, you know, half your children aren't there anymore? How are you going to do it now? How do you But when we're determined, we just started in the last month of Bible study with my children. And I told them, invite your friends, get your friends together. Let's have them over here on Sunday afternoon. We had 18 kids. You realize you have to do it differently Mm. than you were probably doing it in the past. But if you're determined for the right things, you're going to make sure those things stay as a priority. Oh, I Um, love that. Yeah. Well, you have to be intentional, I think, Mm -hmm. or you won't be, you know what I mean? That's the word Um, that came to my mind is intentional because I I just see things slipping through my fingers that I'm just like, but I wanted to do that. I had that intention, but I wasn't intentional. And I think that's so important. Determination and intentionality. Those are powerful words. They are. Jeremiah was unappreciated and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think we all have phases where we feel unappreciated, whatever your job is. I don't, you know, whoever works outside of the home, you have these seasons in your job that you feel like we were just speaking before we started this podcast about the poor people in air travel right now Mm -hmm. who are trying to help people, you know, get their flights rescheduled and how unappreciated they can feel. We mm-hmm. all have seasons in our job, whether it's our job of motherhood or as a wife, or whether we're in a career where we feel very unappreciated and we're doing the, the right things. Like we're standing strong. We're doing things with integrity. We're doing what needs to be done, but nobody's recognizing it. Or it feels like we're coming in last place. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the example of, you know, when you are getting up three times a night with a newborn baby that newborn baby never, ever says, gee, thanks for getting up and sacrificing your sleep. (laughs) That's right. It's a very unappreciated time. Yes. You enjoy the cuddles. Yes. You love this child, you know, so much and you do it. And you know, that's not the point. The point is we all have seasons in life on the other end of the spectrum. Many people are taking care of their elderly parents. That can be a season where you feel very unappreciated for doing the right thing. And a lot of times if the, if the parent has dementia, they may not even understand what you're doing and you're doing the right thing and you're putting the time in and you feel so unappreciated. And yet God put a person in the Bible who could speak to us into that very thing that, you know what, you just keep doing the right thing. And God notices you, even if no one ever says, thank you, um, Esther. She said, I don't want this job. And, you know, I think all of us can understand that because we're all put in roles that we didn't want at some point, whether it is taking care of the elderly parent or having a child only to find out that they have very difficult special needs or getting married and finding out your spouse has a tendency that you never saw coming and you are going to have to live with this and and walk alongside him. And, or, you know, if you're single and you're in a career and you find that you are picking up the pieces behind your boss or, or whatever, you know, we're all put in these positions where we go, but I didn't want this. And thank God for the Mordecai's in our life who say, you know, God equipped you 
and positioned you specifically for this, whether you wanted it or not. Oh yeah. Sometimes we're in a season that we have to embrace and say, this is it for the time. And so God, since you equip me for this, since you positioned me for this, I'm going to take on this job. It's maybe not what I asked for. It's maybe not what I wanted, but I'm going to take it on. And I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to glorify you throughout this process. Peter, I think is the disciple for sure that I relate to more than any. Because oh, me too. I love him. <laughs> I'm an extrovert. Him. So I'm always like, oh, have you thought about this? Or, hey, we should do this. And it isn't until it's out of my mouth that I go, wait a second. I didn't mean to say that. Can I take that back? But Peter was this beautiful work in progress. And when Jesus called Peter, he didn't say, you know, Peter, you really have to get control of your mouth. You need to quit being so crazy. And then I can use you. He just said, Peter, follow me. And even just up until, you know, 40 days before Jesus left the earth, Peter was making these huge mistakes. Mm -hmm. He, you know, betrayed, denied, I should say, he denied Jesus in front of a servant girl, right after he had said, I'm going to be with you to the very end. Mm -hmm. And Peter likely thought that his ministering days were over, you know, God could never use me. And yet Jesus specifically went back to him and said, I can use you and I want to use you. Right. And not only that, you're going to be a pillar, you know, you're going to be the, 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 the pillar of the church. (laughs) Yes. And what, what, um, comfort it is for those of us in ministry to know, oh man, you do not have to get it right all the time. In fact, there's no way you can get it right all the time. You are going to get it wrong at times. And that doesn't mean that God can't use you. It means you listen to the people around you who are saying, eh, you shouldn't have said that. Or can you take that back? Or could you actually try to go this way instead of that way? And when you're humble and you're open to suggestions and you have people around you who are like a Mordecai to Esther, who will say those things to you, then you can say, yep, God, here I am again. I'm a work in progress. And thank you for using works in progress. Cause that's so important. And then there was the woman at the well. And I just love that God put her in the Bible. Me too. Because if they would have had a town meeting and asked who was most likely to introduce that town to the savior, I guarantee her name would not have come up. And yet there Jesus was saying you, I'm going to talk to you. And the woman was so changed that she brought Jesus into the whole town. And so many people think that something they've done in their past has disqualified them. And they, they just can't, they might be totally on fire for God right now, but they think, yeah, but in the past I got a DUI. Or in the past, I had a relationship that wasn't godly. Or in the past, I got arrested for this. I could never be used by God. And God was so faithful to say wrong. Redemption is redemption. I paid for your sin. I bought you back. You're on the team and don't sit on the sidelines. Mm. I love that. And, you know, I feel like with God, there's this, ability to take, you know, in our humanness, we do say, okay, well, I've done this, so I can't be on God's team or I I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough, or I did that too much. And God takes, and not only 
makes up for or or discounts. He doesn't just discount the mistakes of our past, but he uses them like he redeems them and recycles them and reuses them for for good. So do you have any testimonies over the years of talking with women and working with women or Mm -hmm. in your own life to just kind of illustrate this idea of God redeeming the past to Mm -hmm. reveal plans for the future? Last year, I did a series on my podcast on abortion, and I have to say that it was so eye-opening to me. I had no idea. I didn't realize I had read a book. I had listened to a focus on the family, actually, that talked about, you know, like six out of 10 women who have abortions identify as Christian. Mm. And I thought that can't, I'm not sure that that can be right but they were saying it. And then I read a book and it said the same thing. And it said, um, there was a lot of shame in this. And I interviewed some women who had had abortions and who were Christians. And I had no idea the shame that they felt Hmm. sitting in those pews and not understanding that God forgave that Hmm. they had never heard from the pulpit they heard a lot of condemnation mm-hmm. about society's choices and this. And, and I think pastors um, aren't necessarily awake to the fact that a lot of the women in their congregations have had abortions. So they, they sort of had this false assumption that when they are speaking out of the pulpit, they're just assuming that maybe no one in their midst had an abortion. And right, yet that it's this other thing for those right. people not for our people. Right. And so when we speak like that, Oh yeah. We push them away. Yeah. And they don't think that God's forgiveness is for them. And so I did this series. And at the same time, this um, ministry that I work with time of grace, the pastor did a sermon series on it and hearing the testimonies afterwards about women who really believed for the first time that they were forgiven because it was the first time someone said, if you've had an abortion, you are forgiven. And the life change that can happen because they had carried that for sometimes there was a woman who had carried it for four years. She had never told anyone that she had had an abortion. She carried it. And when you experience forgiveness of sins, total forgiveness for the first time, even Christians who thought, well, I'm forgiven for all the other sins, but not that one. And when they feel that for the first time, they are so changed. And then we, as the body are changed, I couldn't keep from crying. I mean, how can, how can you keep from crying when you hear someone carried what they weren't meant to carry for all these years and the impact that it had on their life. And the woman who, um, had kept it a secret for 40 years she has been helping at a pregnancy resource center so that she can help other women who are going through and experiencing the same feelings that she had. She had a boyfriend who really forced her to get an abortion way back Mm -hmm. just when it was starting to become legal. And he said, I don't want this baby. And he drove her to the center. He got her there and really made her get the abortion. And so who better to talk to women 
who are coming in and feeling pressure to get an abortion because their boyfriend doesn't want this child, who better to say, I wish someone had told me that there are resources available and that you will deal with this the rest of your life if you get rid of this child. And if you want to keep this child, there is a whole network of people who will embrace you and help you and walk beside you. I mean, who better to tell that to a young woman who's struggling? Well, just for anyone listening now, I am 100% positive that there's someone listening who has had an abortion um, and who regrets that decision or feels shame. And so for you that are listening, you are forgiven. You need to know that. And I just want to pray just real quick for that person. Father, we lift our sister up to you today. Lord, we know she is listening for a purpose and for a reason that she is not here by accident. And God, we just pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would help her to know in her heart that she is forgiven, that you are a redeemer and that you will use even this for good, that you would remove that barrier that stands between her and living out her purpose with power and intentionality and with passion, that you would remove the guilt that the enemy has saddled her with. Lord, that you would break the bondage of shame and regret and that you would replace it, God, with your peace and your freedom and joy and all of the fruit of the spirit, Lord, that she would be free to be yoked with Christ and to walk out the amazing plans and purposes that you have for her in Jesus name. Amen. And I would just like to add, you know, I think one of the problems, one of the stigmas that has been in the church is that women who have had an abortion feel like they can't tell anybody. Yes. And they really think that if they say to an older, mature woman, I had an abortion, they think that we are going to go, no, stay away from me, which is absolutely opposite from what the great majority, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I I won't generalize that way. The great majority of us would wrap our arms around you and say, oh, sister, you are forgiven. And I can't imagine what you have been through. I have no idea the confusion, the, the trauma that you have experienced, but boy, am I willing to walk beside you so that you can experience healing. And so I hope if you're listening and you've this is, we're talking to you. This is your story. You have hidden in a closet, or maybe you haven't even returned to church. Please come back. Please find a godly Christian woman, whether she's your age or 10 or 20 or 30 years older, who you will tell, tell somebody because Satan loves secrets. Yes. As long as we keep our sins in the secret, in the secret place where nobody knows man, the healing never happens. But we're told in the book of James, James, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. The blood of Jesus heals all of our sin. And sometimes we just stay in that shame and it just stifles us and it just weighs us down. So find a sister in Christ 
who you can talk to, who will remind you often of God's forgiveness until you believe it yourself. And I guarantee those women are out there and ready and willing to help you through this. Amen. Thank you for that too. I think that's so important. So important. Well, this, uh, uh, we have lots more we could talk about, but we're kind of getting to the end of our time, time wise, but, um, I just love this book. I love you. You summarized it beautifully and you know what, um, where can our listeners connect with you, find your books, um, online and, and connect with you on social media. Yeah. So everything is found at Amber LB Swenson.com. So LB is a L B E E Swenson is S W E N S O N. Um, Amber LB Swenson.com will direct you to all my products and everywhere. Um, I'm also a part of the time of grace ministry team. So timeofgrace.org is another place that will get you to everything. All right. Well, thank you. Well, how can we pray for you today, Amber? Yeah. So my prayer really has been that I proclaim the message of Christ as he gives it to me in whatever way I want to bear the most fruit for God in the parable of the sower. Um, we're told about, you know, the sower who sows the seed. And at the end, Jesus says, you know, we'll go on the good soil. It will go on to produce 30, 60, or a hundred times what was sown. Mm -hmm. And so I'm praying that God helps me to bear abundant fruit for his kingdom, that I use what he's given me to just help others know and love God more. I just want to be someone who points people to the redemptive work of Christ. And I hope that I do that faithfully and well and effectively. All right. Well, I know God will answer that prayer. <laughs> that is such a good prayer. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for this great study, this great resource. I think it would be a great gift to give people. Um, just if there's someone that, you know, that's kind of seeking and not quite sure, doesn't want to come to Bible study with you, this would be a great mm -hmm. starting point for someone who's just a little bit curious, I think. So yeah, All hopefully. Right. Thank you. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. God, we just thank you for this time together. Thank you for Amber. Thank you for her passion for learning about your word, for sharing it with others, and just for proclaiming your truth. Um, God, we just, we pray that you would bless her in abundance. God, that you would pour out your wisdom, pour out your words, um, just equip her in every way that she needs to be equipped to do each of the things that you've placed before her to do, help her to know what those things are and to know the next steps to take and, and to be able to hear your voice clearly above all of the others. Um, we just pray that you would allow her to proclaim your truth and your word in just abundantly and in exactly the way that you want it to be proclaimed, Lord, that you would guide her and direct her, that you would yoke her um, so that, that she would know what direction to turn and she would know when to stop and when to go and when to rest and when to work. And, and we just thank you, God, that all of these things will come to pass. And we just look forward to that day of, of harvest, that fruit in abundance. And we just know that it'll be there and, and just pray that you would um, see her through, um, all of the different things that you have for her. And, and we just can't wait to see that unfold. And we pray for these books that are 
um, going to be coming out soon that you would bless those. And again, allow these words to reach more women than she could ever imagine or ask for. We pray for her home, for her family in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.